0: what is up ladies and gentlemen welcome to the vanguard project before we jump into an awesome episode with christy from mountain ops a few quick updates number one thank you all for the ratings and reviews please if you haven't yet take just a quick second to rate the show it gives me the warm and fuzzies and uh, helps grow the show and get it in front of more people Uh, Number two, lots and lots of swag. The shop is popping with all sorts of designs and swag. I'm wearing my Cobra shirt right now, and I'm stoked on the fit, finish, feel, all of it. Grab yours at VanguardStories.com. And number three, last update before we jump into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Fall is here up in Boise. It is cooling off, which means that we will be spending more time trying to uh, warm ourselves up, get the extra extra caffeine to get through the day and get after it. So whether you're out hunting on the go or uh, making some fancy brew at home, use code Vanguard for 20% off your first order, including subscriptions. That's code Vanguard for 20% off blackriflecoffee.com. Otherwise, I believe that is it for updates. So let's roll an awesome episode. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just some guy outside of Boise, Idaho, that likes to sit down and chat with people, get their stories, understand who they are, uh, what they've done to get to where they're at, maybe sharing some you know lessons learned, tools that they've gathered throughout the years, and uh, hopefully giving you guys some maybe wisdom to take to uh, take light take on life with. Wow, words are hard for me tonight. It's been a day, and uh, really just getting uh, maybe some tools and get you excited about something new. So with that being on the phone. I've got Ms. Christy, who uh, I believe Christy you said, uh, are a mountains mountain ops nutritionist. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Fitness and uh, nutrition specialist for mountain ops. Yep.
0: That's awesome. So normally the way these podcasts go, uh, or at least mine, right, is I like to get people's stories. So if you don't mind, you know, for uh, people that don't know you, and it, it'll be kind of nice because this is really our first time interacting too, uh, maybe just introducing yourself and uh, I'll start to interrupt and ask some questions along the way, if that's all right.
1: Yeah. So my name is Christina Bert. Um, My background is in athletics. Grew up playing soccer, basketball, ran track. Um, soccer was what I excelled at. I played uh, in college, ended up playing on the under 16 or 20 and the women's national team uh, growing up. So pretty much from the age of 15 on to about 25, I was part of the U.S. Uh, women's national soccer team. So um, that's my soccer background. Obviously, it afforded me, you know, the chance to see the, see the world and uh, travel all over the country. Um, it ended up leading into me being a college coach, and I also taught kinesiology at the college level. Did that until I had my first son, and then uh, my focus kind of switched after that just because I wanted to be able to raise my kids. So um, after that, I just started doing uh, stuff on my own, uh, speed and agility training with athletes. Uh, I worked with athletes from soccer, baseball, basketball, volleyball, pretty much every sport you can think of. Uh, I did that kind of on the side while I raised my kids. Um, And then through that job, uh, I was approached by someone from Under Armour who was hiring and they were interested in hiring me and they brought me in and hired me on the spot. And I worked for Under Armour for three years, Um, did that, and then kind of took a break from that for a while. Uh, Corporate America was a little dubious on me, so... (laughs) um, I, I'm not the kind of person that likes to be in a box. So I, I kind of need freedom. And uh, I don't know, I, I did kind of sense I was losing my freedom working there a little bit. So, but that was that's a long story. Uh, we'll save that for another day. Um, <laughs> anyway, then got back doing uh, training on the side during the whole pandemic. I was pretty much training all the kids that couldn't train with their teams. They were coming to my garage and I basically trained them out of my garage, um, which is going to be a great story to look back on one day when these kids are like grown adults and it was pretty much their. Uh, saving grace, right? Like it was their chance to like socialize with people and get out of their house. And, um, it was actually my saving grace as well. So, um, and then, uh, just right when the pandemic was basically starting to end, uh, I was approached by mountain ops, um, and they brought me on as a a fitness nutrition specialist. So I basically do consults, one-on-one consults with uh, their clients. Um, and that's what I do. Yeah. Great job. Love it. And blessed
0: to have it. So that's awesome. That's that's a hell of a story. <laughs> I was taking notes so that I could that I could kind of go back and ask some questions on because I tell you there's there's a lot of there's a lot of really neat things there. So if you don't mind, I'll just kind of ask a couple of questions and, and and get going. Mm-hmm. So you said that you did a, a lot of soccer. So soccer was a thing that you excelled at and uh, and made it onto the women's team, right? The women's national team. Yeah. You know, I have one buddy who shot. Um, I think he shot trap for the national team too, and. I know his mindset and everything for getting into really the competition arena. Can you talk about what it took and what mindset and what you feel like you learned in order to become really that top tier athlete that maybe other, you know, maybe females in this case, right. Should know in order to be successful.
1: Yeah. I mean, in my case, I kind of felt like I was kind of just born that way. It's kind of weird. Like no one ever, forced me to do sports. No one ever pushed me. My parents were just supportive. They didn't push me. I didn't do anything extra. I didn't have personal trainers training me. It was like, basically I just, I, I knew where I wanted to get in my sport. And at the time when I was younger, there wasn't even a women's national team that didn't even happen until I was like in high school. So I didn't have female athletes to look up to. It was more on the male side. And I loved uh, the Italian men's national team. So uh, growing up, that was kind of, I, I looked at them and uh, kind of you know, saw their discipline and stuff. And, uh, I grew up on a street full of boys. I was the only girl. So I guess I just learned a uh, school of hard knocks growing up on my street. I, if I wanted to play, I had to play with the boys. And if I wanted to outrun them, I had to basically outrun them. So, um, yeah, a lot of it's just, I, I guess just born into me. Um, I'm short, I'm only five feet. So, um, that was always kind of a, uh, I don't want to say it was a challenge, but in some ways it was because I knew I had to have something special for, to make myself seen from other players who were may, maybe taller than me and had other aspects physically that I didn't have. Um, so I took a lot of pride in uh, my training. I, I'm the type of person that would go out to practice you know, uh, at college and I would train an hour on my own before practice. Um, that's just how I was. So I, I put in a lot of extra time and kind of knew, like I said, where I wanted to to go in my sport. And I knew I had to put in the extra work to get there. And um, eventually it paid off. So
0: yeah, yeah. So when you say that you knew where you wanted to go in the sport, was that something that you, I guess, developed over time so as you started to play soccer knew that that's what you wanted to do or was that something that you learned later on like no I know that this is something I need to have kind of maybe not like as part of my resume per se but as part of I guess the your yeah, I, think, I think I got
1: as I got older and there were females playing soccer and I actually had role models, you know, people like Julie Foudy, right. She was one of my, my role models. She wasn't that much older than me, but she was one of the first ones to make, you know, the women's national team. And these were people that were a few years older than me. So I could see what they were doing. Um, but like I said, we didn't, it's not like nowadays where young girls can see women's national team players. Right. I didn't have that. When I was a kid, it was basically watching men's sports, right. There wasn't the female side of things like that. Um, So yeah, having people like, you know, Julie Foudy, like I talked about, she, when I made the national team, she was actually the captain of the team. So it was kind of like, uh, more than a dream come true for me, because this this was someone I really looked up to. And then, you know, she ended up being the team captain of the, you know, the team I played on and ended up being my roommate on my first trip with the women's national team. So, um, yeah, I think as time went on and I got into high school, that's when the women's national team started to, you know, uh take shape. Um, they actually had a women's world cup. That was like the first time that ever happened was like I think my senior year and in high school. And then by the time I was in college, uh, that's when all that, uh, you know, they're adding women's sports to college programs and soccer was one of the big ones. So, um, and then obviously it's grown a ton since I was in college. Um, but yeah, I played, you know, division one soccer, I was team captain. Um, you know, I just had, I was very ambitious. And once I knew there was a women's national team and that was pretty much my goal, I wanted to make it yeah that was my dream right so and I didn't know how realistic that was the my size and stuff but uh yeah I ended up playing in a thing called the Adidas summer League this is kind of a funny story I actually got asked to go play professionally in Japan because at the time when I graduated from college the only place you can actually make money um playing soccer once you graduated was either becoming a college coach or you could go to Japan and they'd pay you like uh, forty thousand dollars and you're living in Japan right so I went to Japan and I tried out and I could have played on a team there called the Takarazuka bunnies. (laughs) And it was, (laughs) let me tell you, Um, it just wasn't a fit for me. I knew I, I wouldn't have flourished there. I just, the whole culture difference. I didn't speak Japanese. It was this, it was a major culture shock for me. And I had traveled the world already, you know, prior to that, but I just couldn't see myself fitting in there. And it's just kind of funny when you follow your gut and you don't do things for money reasons. Um, because I turned that down, I ended up playing in this scene called the Adidas Summer League, which is basically where they took the top division one soccer players um, at the time. And they basically formed these teams and we played out of, in Oregon, they put us together. We lived in condos together. Um, my roommate at the time in, in Oregon was Amanda Cromwell, which she's the current UCLA coach. Um, anyway, she's my roommate. One day I walk in after training and she said, Hey, you got a message from uh, U.S. soccer. They want to bring you into the next training camp. Well, U S soccer, the women's national team had just won the goal, the, the, um, The Olympic gold medal. So this was going to be like their first training camp after the Olympic gold medal. So I was like, I thought she was joking. I was like, shut up. Don't, you know, don't even mess with me. And she's like, I'm not kidding. This girl, Melissa called. So I called this girl, Melissa from US soccer. And sure enough, they brought me into the next camp. So I got to be part of like the whole almost like the victory tour for them, uh, after they won the gold medal, I, I got to kind of feel like I was a gold medalist, even though I wasn't, but I got to be part of the hype. Right. So it was kind of an exciting time to be on that team. And obviously I got to play with, you know, uh, arguably some of the best players that ever play in this country. Um, is this a much different time than it is now, you know, who represents the team now versus back then it's, it's just night and day. Um, not not to bag on anything going on now, but I, I'll just leave that. I, I won't say much <laughs> on the current team. Um, yeah. So I'll burn bridges there. So
0: fair, fair, fair. <laughs> well, we won't, we won't, we won't, we won't burn bridges. So uh, it's funny, there, there's again a lot of really cool things. So how does and, and I don't really know how um, getting into like the national league or the uh, the national teams work. Do you mind talking about what that looks like so that if anybody out there is like coming out of high school, like this is what I want to do. Do you know, do you know how it works now?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lot different now compared to when, um, you know, I played uh, back when, so my first time at the age of 15, my mom basically came in, she read something in the newspaper saying there was a district trial, which we didn't even know what that was. My mom was totally naive to anything with soccer. She goes, there's a district trial. If you want to do it, you can play soccer over the summer. I was like, all right, that sounds fun. So I had no idea it was part of the Olympic development program. Well, I ended up making the district team, Uh, A month later, I made the state team, which basically, I grew up in Northern California, so I basically made the team that represented Northern California. Uh, A month after that, I got picked for the regional team, which meant I was representing the whole West Coast, and then that year, um, there was something different in the schedule, but basically, the under-16 national team camp was going to be before the regional camp, so my first ever camp ever in my life was going to the Olympic Training Center in uh, Colorado Springs, as a 15-year-old, as as part of the under-16 national team. So that's how I got into it. It's a lot different now. They had, for a while, like recently, they had a a league called the DA program, which was basically um, the teams were – basically formed and us it was like a basically like a farm system for us soccer. So all the training sessions were kind of run based on what us soccer wanted. Uh, obviously it was an easy way for us soccer to identify players by looking at the DA program. Um, but that all folded during the pandemic. Uh, I'm not sure all the details on that, but that folded. And now there's like a league called the ENCL. Um, that's like the, where the main top players are playing out of which is at the club level. And then there's still, um, there's still the ODP, the Olympic development program. It's just, it's not as highly admired as it was back when I played If you made the ODP program back when I played, that was, you're the cream of the crop, right? It's a little bit different now. So, um, yeah. And then they do camps where they bring in like, you know, potential players that they have their eye on and they'll do like little training things just to train them and kind of see how the players are receptive to things. And then obviously if they like what they see, they get brought into, you know, the under 16 national camps, under 20 national camps like that. So
0: Yeah. So obviously it's, it's super competitive. So, yeah. So, so I guess if there's throughout your time and, and again, kind of asking if there's other females that are trying to, to maybe follow in your footsteps or get into it as well, what did you learn throughout the process of getting into it? You know, that you feel, man, other people need to take this to the grave and, or, you know, did you ever feel discouraged and and lean or learn something and lean on something that got you through?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think with pretty much this transcends the everything in life, I think having discipline, right. Uh, if you know what your goals are, obviously you have to have discipline to get to it. I think, you know, that that goes with anything. Um, in my case, I, I knew what my challenges were and it was my size, right. I've, I'm short, but I was super fast. Like I was always one of the fastest and fittest ones at every national training camp I went into. And I prided myself on that. I wanted to beat everybody. I was, I'm highly competitive. Um, and it wasn't so I could say I beat them. It was just, that's just how I am. I, I want to be the best as I can so I just have always pushed myself and obviously that takes a lot of discipline. Um so you know for someone young out there I'd say you know if that's really your goal and you're trying to make it to the highest level in your sport um you know discipline yourself try to do what others aren't doing um and if you know what others are doing do more than they are. <laughs>
0: so uh, yeah. Okay okay and so oh go ahead. I, I was
1: blessed with I was blessed with some good genetics you know like I said I, I was really fast. And I don't know if that was this, um, from running from all the boys on my street growing up just made me fast. I don't know. I'm not sure how I got so fast, but I was just always very fast and, uh, very fit, uh, my whole life. So, and that, like I said, I've always kind of prided myself on that. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So when you talk discipline, what did discipline look like for you?
1: Oh, well, like I said, I, I went to every practice. I always trained ahead of time. If I didn't train ahead of time I always stayed after um back when I played college we actually didn't even have like strength strength programs back then there wasn't even strength coaches back then right this is back in like ninety ninety five. 95 there wasn't even strength coaches at a division one top division one school so um you know I did gym work myself um I started out at Santa Clara University my first two years and actually the men's coach there he kind of took me under his wing and introduced me to plyometrics um because he used to always see me out there doing stuff on my own <clears throat> anyway he uh he gave me some, I like, uh, some printouts of some plyometric stuff. So I started incorporating that and that's kind of how I got into speed and agility stuff. Um, and that definitely helped my, my game. I mean, I was always physically seemed stronger than everybody. Um, and they actually, when I was on the under 20 national team, they called me the energizer bunny as I don't know, but I put myself on, on being the fittest one out there. So, and I'm still the same way. I still have the same, whatever that burn is in me. I still have it. Like I'm I'm a lot older now, but I still train every day. Like today I did a double day. I, I trained this morning and my daughter actually just started being a personal trainer. and She wanted me to come in. She wanted to train me today. So I let her train me. So I did a double day and I haven't taken a day off in a while. And that's just, I don't know, seems to be my, my medicine. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So when you finished up uh, with the national team, um, I guess, was that a hard stop or was that a gradual thing for you into coaching and kinesiology?
1: I was actually coaching college when I made the national team. So, okay. how that how, how that timeline works was I graduated from Pepperdine. That was in '96. Um, let's see, '97. Yeah, the, the year of '96 to '97. I literally started coaching college. I made the women's national team, and I was juggling all that. Plus, I was coaching two club soccer teams at the time. Um, but that's what you had to do back then to make a living, right? And play at the highest level. Um, Unless you were like I mean you weren't really making uh you know enough money to live off of unless you had like sponsors, right? I didn't have sponsors. So I never made a dime playing soccer. Um, even playing on the national team. I played for a year. I I didn't I didn't make a dime. So um and kudos to those that kudos to those who were making money, right? Because well deserved, especially people like Mia Ham. They're just very humble, great representation of uh, you know, US women's soccer for sure. So um, but it, it, you know, times are just a lot different now. It's you know, all the players are making money pretty much now if you're on that team and uh, they're not having to double, you know, five different jobs just to make a living. So um yeah, so that's that's that. Um let's see. Uh what was your initial question? I, I forgot.
0: <laughs> the, yeah. You're, no, you're good. That It was the transition from, from the national team to, to coaching and kinesiology. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you said that they were kind of uh, hand in hand at that time.
1: Yeah. They kind of blended all together. So Um, You know, I would leave my college job and I would go, you know, be at a training camp for the women's national team. And then when I was gone, I had someone cover for my club, two club teams I was coaching.
0: Um,
1: And then I, like I said, I made that team right after they won the gold medal and they were prepping for the World Cup, which was the huge World Cup here um, back in 99. Right. So they had me do like I we used to go sit at like big five, like sporting goods stores and like was promoting it and handing out like bumper stickers and stuff. It was just really random. And that ended up being like, you know, as you probably know, like a huge event. Like it ended up being like the biggest, you know, women's world event ever. Um, and I got cut from that team. I was one of the last cuts. Um, a girl named Sarah Whalen got picked over me. Um, she was a current college player, um, at the time and I was already done with college. So I don't know the whole story there, but grateful for the opportunity I got. And I got brought in by coach Tony DeChico and I do owe him, you know, um, a lot for just bringing me in and taking a chance on I me. Mean, he definitely, you know, gave me, um, gave me some memories that, you know, I'll take with me forever. So,
0: yeah. So you're bringing up a, an interesting point. So obviously again, super competitive um, being cut. Right. And this might be a personal question so we can totally move on if needed but I imagine that that probably is is a a tough thing right when you are working so hard you're getting to a really point a really good point at being in a very high stakes competition right and then not and and, and I'm hearing that you weren't able to go is that right yeah So so I was
1: I was one of the last cuts so yeah and like you said it's definitely um you know, when you focus so long on that and that's been like your long-term goal is just to be on the national team. I was grateful for the opportunity just to be there. Right. But obviously once I'm on that team and I know I'm good enough to represent that team, I mean, of course you have goals of wanting to, you know, go to the Olympics, go to the world cup, stuff like that. Right. Um, and you know, like I said, I, I prided myself big time on how fit I was. There wasn't a single camp I went into, or I wasn't in the top three as far as fitness goes. Um, so, you know, when you get when someone else gets picked over you, and you know you're, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to say I'm a better athlete, um, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to be humble at, at saying this. But I, I always beat her, the girl that got picked over me. So sure. I don't, kind of a hard pill to swallow. Um, and it was pretty abrupt. As soon as they cut me, I'm like, I'm never playing soccer again. I'm done with that. I'm turning the page, and I end up playing on a like a women's uh, competitive team, and I almost tore my knee playing in that league just because players were slower and coming in for late tackles. And after that, I was like, I'm done. So it's been about seven, seven, eight years since I've even played soccer. So I don't miss it. I kind of refocused my energy. I started doing uh, marathons and I do those on behalf of my late best friend, Rick Carone that died of pancreatic cancer. Okay, Um, raised a ton of money um, doing those for a nonprofit called project purple. So um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of turned my focus somewhere else and kind of, kind of off me. I don't know. Um, not that it was ever really on me, but I, I've always had goals and I like having goals to achieve and doing the marathon stuff kind of, um, transitioned me out of the soccer thing. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So I, I've talked to a couple of folks about kind of transitioning and, and changing their focus. Right. And okay. that always seems to be, a, um, an interesting thing because I feel like people approach it differently. Right. You know, some athletes, you know, if they've broken a leg or whatever the case may be, right. Could be, alcohol, drugs could be whatever, whatever, right? Same thing with transitioning law enforcement, military, right? When a big change occurs and people handle it differently, Yeah. How, how were you able to go? Cause it sounds like it was a really healthy thing for you, right? Like, okay, great. Closing the page on soccer, going into marathons, right? How were you able to kind of direct that energy in a healthy way?
1: Mm, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I always was grateful. I even got brought on the national team. So of course there was, You know, I, I initially I'll be honest for like, I, to this day, I still can't watch soccer. (laughs) I'll just be honest. So that's how hard it hurt me. Um, I, I don't enjoy watching soccer. The only soccer I watch is my daughter who plays and she's 17 and she plays on a top club team here in Southern California. And she's a very good player. I enjoy watching her, but as far as watching soccer on TV, I, I still can't muster it up to get myself to watch that. I just, I don't find any joy in it. I think probably because I dedicated so much of my life to that sport and knowing I guess, although what ifs, uh, it made it really hard to swallow at the end. Um, but like I said, I was grateful at the same time that I even you know made that a level. So um, I don't know. As far as the transition goes, I think I left it positive, and I I felt like I had more to prove of myself. I a lot of people have always said, oh, Christy, the soccer player. And I, I'm not going to say I take resentment in that, but I'm a, much more than Christy, the soccer player. And, um, I've always had a heart for wanting to help people. And, um, yeah, I just kind of transitioned it in, in a way where the focus is off me. I was trying to raise money for a nonprofit for pancreatic cancer and, um, you know, doing stuff on behalf of my friend, Rick, uh, was all the motivation I needed. I never, ever thought I'd be a marathon runner. I never liked, or enjoyed doing long distance running. I was a sprinter in, uh, high school and a hurdler. Um, so, you know, I was fast, um, but I did have good endurance, but n- nothing like, you know, doing 26 miles. So it was a challenge. I like, I always like challenges. Um, I like to push myself and see, just get myself out of comfort zones, I guess. So, um, the whole, the whole marathon thing kind of helped help with all that. So,
0: yeah, that's funny. I was a long distance runner in high school. Not, I, I, I couldn't sprint to save my life. <laughs> oh, that's funny yeah um okay okay so is that then so when you started to take the focus off of yourself and say hey you know i don't want to be christy the soccer player i want to be christy the person that helps others is that what mm-hmm. kind of directed you down the path of um i guess the kinesiology strength and agility training um kind of down that path or was there something else that pushed you forward
1: i mean i was already doing all that like this being agility and helping people i mean that pretty much started when i was in college i started mm-hmm. helping you know, youth players. Um, I actually was, I used to train youth players on the side when I was in college just to make money on the side, right? Cause I couldn't work a real job. Um, so it kind of started then. And I always have enjoyed helping people. I've always like giving back of the things that I'm good at. Um, and I've always felt like, you know, the fitness side of things and especially like speed and agilities type of stuff. I always kind of excelled at. And for a while, I mean, here in Southern California, when I first started doing, speed and agility there was no female speed and agility coaches you can find them now but back when I started there was none I mean I, I was a rarity here and I actually worked with like club baseball teams which was all boys right so they would hire me I'm like why would a baseball team want me like full of boys right but I was good at what I did and um you know I had a lot of knowledge that I could share that you know um was sport specific to what they were doing um so yeah I think just helping it's just it's kind of always been in me ever since I was younger um and then obviously doing the stuff for the marathon, that's obviously a way bigger thing. And, you know, the first marathon I did, I'm like, oh, it'd be great. Even if I raised $500, right. And I really like, I'm, I'm not, I'm competitive at everything I do. Like I want to do the best I can at everything I do. It's not necessarily I'm competitive. I just, I always want to give the best of myself and I go all in. So um, my first marathon, basically I I've signed up on this thing to, you know, fundraise for uh, the Pro- project purple, which is a nonprofit. And uh, I ended up being the top fundraiser for the entire marathon, which was in orange County, which is like huge money down here. Right. right. Um, uh, I, I ended up, wait, you know, raising the most money out of anybody. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I raised like $24,000 in my first marathon. Oh, my that, was all, that was all through Facebook, just posting on Facebook and basically, um, promoting my friend Rick. Right. I was basically telling his story and, um, he was a big, you know, big influence in the outdoor industry at the time. And, uh, he had a lot of people that, you know, really supported him and not only supported him, but they supported every effort I made on his behalf. So it was pretty amazing. So, and I also helped his nonprofit. He had a nonprofit called team Karoom, Um, and I helped do the marketing and like all the, a lot of the fundraising and, um, stuff for that. So.
0: That's awesome. I'm going to look up project purple. I was writing it down so that I, I could look it up too. So, <clears throat> okay. So as you started to get into, and I guess when you were doing your strength and agility coaching and training, um, you said there were few females doing it at that time, which I can Mm -hmm. imagine getting into that industry being pretty difficult. You said that it's, uh, that it's a little bit more commonplace now. What, what do you think helped separate you to get, you know, you said the, the baseball teams to come pick, pick you up to help them. What do you think helped you uh, separate yourself from the pack and I guess, really start your own business in that area, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I think just, you know, my knowledge, I mean, I have my degree is in kinesiology. So obviously I have, you know, college education as far as that goes, but I I do think a lot of it just stems from my whole background, just growing up. Right. It's, that was something I always prided myself on. And I, I, I still do like, I want to know what the latest and greatest is, how you make yourself better, how you can make a really good athlete, not only great, but greater. Right. Um, it's just something I've always enjoyed doing. And it's something I've always enjoyed giving back um, as far as like the baseball teams picking me. I, I don't know. It's kind of, kind of, kind of weird. I, I don't honestly know you'd have to, I guess, ask the coaches, but it, I was, I probably coached at see. Over the course of doing that on my own down here, I probably had five or six different club baseball teams that were high level baseball teams that had me training them, speed and agility. So, um, And I did other stuff. I did sports specific stuff where I had like resistant bats that had like resistant bands hooked to them and, you know, they'd practice hitting and it was just the resistance stuff and um I grew up with my brothers playing baseball. So I was always around that. And I played softball as a kid. Um, And I'm a huge San Francisco Giants fan. I grew up going to all their games. So go Giants. They're playing the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, I don't know. I guess because maybe my love of baseball kind of, I don't know, maybe that helped influence it. I'm not sure to be honest with you. So.
0: Okay. Okay. But you, you weren't out there like marketing yourself, trying to like picture no, yourself.
1: Not, it was all word of mouth. Once I got picked up by I got picked up by two club teams out of orange County, um, that were travel ball uh, that are really good. Like teams, like one of the couple of the kids that I actually trained on those teams are going to be playing division one baseball next year. So, um, but yeah, it was word of mouth. I think just from that people seeing that I was out there training them and wow, they trust her to do it. Well, why don't, why don't we type of thing? So,
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, that's super cool. So then after, I guess did you continue doing the um coaching training uh throughout uh, Under Armour and then kind of into training in your garage?
1: Yeah, I actually train I kept my job being a um, sports. So I worked at a place called CB3 Sports Performance, which at the time uh, the CB stands for Carl Spokanegra. He was the captain of the men's national team for uh, men's soccer. And he happens to be from the town I live in currently. So he brought me in um, and I started training basically top level players. I mean, we would get players that were getting ready to go into the MLS um, all the way down to, you know, youth players just trying to get better. Um, and I, I love that job like it was a dream job for me. It didn't pay the greatest. Um, Cause you know, that's just how it is, but it's something I love doing. I was able to take my kids with me to work. Um, so, you know, being a mom, it fit right in doing that. Um, and then when they hired me at Under Armour, I kept doing the sports performance stuff pretty much for the first year and a half. And then it just got to be too much because I was juggling this too much in my days. Um, couldn't do it. And things kind of started at CB3 because Carl Spokanegra when he started that program, he was actually playing in Europe and then he came back here and he started his focus. This was different. Um, so then I stopped doing that. And then after Under Armour is when I started, uh, doing the sports performance again.
0: So, okay. Okay. So I, I've i got a question because it sounds like you've made a couple tough decisions in moving from, you know, something that you love to maybe something a little different, maybe a little <laughs> new. How, mm-hmm. how did you make those decisions? You know, I, I feel like that's, it's hard not to chase money sometimes, but it's also hard to step out of a comfort zone, you know, yeah. especially if you're doing something that you love. How did you yeah. make those decisions?
1: Yeah. So, like when they brought me into Under Armour, like my, they literally walked me around this humongous warehouse, right? I walked in there. I've never been in a huge warehouse. And then they met me out on the floor and they're like, So, could you see yourself working here? And I'm like, To be honest with you, no. <laughs> Like, like, this, it looks like a big prison, right? I'm like, I'm a free spirit. So, you know, I'm, I was, I'm an honest person. I'm like, I'm not really. Um, and they're like, well, the job's yours if you want it. They didn't even ask for my resume, nothing. They basically hired me based on my, what they had seen me do at CB3, right? They knew I was a leader. They wanted leaders in there. That's why they brought me in. They wanted someone to be a leader. Um, And, you know, I guess it was somewhat enticing because at the time, like I needed health insurance for my family. Uh, That was a big driving force um, was, you know, all the benefits that came with that job, not necessarily what I was doing as a job um, there, but I was willing to make a sacrifice and I knew I could keep doing the stuff I was doing at CB3. So um, you know, it was a little bit, I guess, of a sacrifice, but not really because I was still able to do what I enjoyed doing. Um, and it was, it was, it was pretty much a shock to the system when I first started at Under Armour, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked what I did there and I worked around a lot of, uh, temp workers. So they basically hired a lot of temp workers from lower income areas in this area. A lot of my workers didn't even have cars. They rode their bikes. I had one guy that literally slept in his car. Um, so, you know, you're just dealing with, um, different kind of hardships, right? You're looking at people who are, talk about a grind. I mean, I feel like I grind every day, but these people are literally grinding just to survive. So um, it kind of makes you look at life a lot differently when you're around people like that. And I actually love that aspect of that job. And actually one of my workers who, she ended up coming into my department um, at the time, she had like really low self-esteem. And I used to always just tell her, I'm like, just get a college degree. So you don't have to do this your whole life. Like you're smart. She was a really smart girl. Right. Um, but she just didn't have the influence around her. Well, anyway, um, when I ended up leaving that job, she basically over, she took my job and now she's, she just got her college degree. Like she just got it this past year. I mean, it's incredible. Like I kind of watched her like, and I'm, i kind of felt like I was like her, like a, a mom sort of thing. Right. I like took pride in seeing her, um, excel out of this bubble that she was leaving herself in. Right. So, um, that aspect aspect of it, I really enjoyed. I like working around those kind of people that just they come from a different set of lenses than I do. Right. And it kind of gives you a different perspective of uh, your own life. So um, I did like that a lot. Um, yeah.
0: It- <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's funny because like I've, I've experienced that uh, the past couple of years, my wife and I are, are completely different and she's had to teach me how to see, <laughs> see <laughs> things a little differently. So coming out of that, I mean, did you, what was maybe the the craziest thing that you've learned or, or took away from that experience?
1: Being at Under Armour?
0: Yeah. Or or just having been around different hardships.
1: Um, I mean, I think, I think the the big eye opener for me was actually traveling with the national team. Uh, We went to Brazil and just seeing how people live. I like, I, never seen anything like it people were just living in like little boxes on the side of a hill and they called that their house right there's like no middle class there it was like you're either poor or super rich and like one day they brought us up into the mountains it looked like we were in Switzerland it was like all these houses that looked like they were Swiss and it was like super big money right and then you go down the mountain it's like people living in little boxes and at our practices these boys used to always come like they were like probably I don't know eight eight to ten year olds and they would sit there and they wanted our socks I'm like why did they want our socks it's so bizarre, right? well they would take our socks and they would turn it into a ball and that's how they played soccer that's how futsal started futsal is like a game of soccer but the ball doesn't bounce it's like a it's like a heavier ball but they made them out of socks but these boys would beg for our socks like it was I've never seen anything like it I'm like I can't imagine anyone in the US any boy you know 8 to 10 years old begging for a pair of socks to so then go kick a ball around right so uh that was definitely a major eye opening experience for me and then you know like i said when working in an environment where you're basically surrounded by people who, you know, they want the life you're living. And here I am thinking, okay, I want more than this for myself, right? And then you're seeing what they're doing and it's kind of like, how did I get so fortunate to get to where I am and why haven't they? I mean, they they basically can have the same opportunities they have wanted, but do they know it's out there, right? Um, so I kind of took it upon myself to kind of tell people, like, you know, you can get to the same place I am. It just takes, you know, discipline and getting yourself out of what your norm is, right? Um, a lot of these people, like I said, living in their cars so they don't even have a house like where do you go from there right it's just a different different type of hardship than I've ever personally experienced so
0: yeah yeah did that change how you approached people I mean those experiences in in maybe when I say approach like either in coaching or kind of mentoring them in I guess maybe whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish did, did you learn how to approach people or or tackle different issues differently if that question made sense
1: yeah, I, I mean, I I think I've always been a very empathetic person, um, my whole life. Like since I was little, I have I've had some really weird experiences as far as empathy goes. Um, it's almost like I can sense sense people, right? I can be around you and I can kind of sense what you need or what something's going on that's not right. Um, and I I do think that definitely helped me being in that sort of environment. I I could kind of sense the people that needed me to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, this you don't have to do this your whole life. Like this set your mind to something and, and don't stop till you get there. Right. And obviously seeing someone like how I just told you about that one girl that, you know, just is, just got her degree in college and, you know, she obviously listened to what I said and took it to heart. Right. So, um, I just seeing that is it's very re- rewarding. So, um, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, maybe before we move on to what you're doing now, is there anything that you've learned, I guess, to date, or that maybe you don't get asked often enough that you feel is important for people to know or that you would like to share or you feel is important to get out there?
1: Um, I I, I admit, my, my biggest mentor, actually, when I was in college, his name is Marv Dunphy. He's actually, um, he just helped the women's volleyball team win the gold medal at the current Olympics, but he was a former men's Olympic coach and won multiple gold medals. He's This guy is a incredible... Coach, mentor. He was my mentor. I mean, he took me under his wing when I was at Pepperdine, um, to the point where when I used to go do my student teaching, he used to drive out to watch me do my student teaching. And he was like a current like U.S. men's volleyball coach. I'm like, I couldn't believe. I'm like, why is he here? But he was just like such a good person, and like he went out of his way. And this seeing that example people going out of their way when they don't have to. Um, and the impact that left, like on me, it's made me want to leave the same sort of impact on people that I'm around. Um, and he, he was incredible, but he used to always tell me. And so this is the answer to your question. He used to always say, whatever you do, just surround yourself with the best people. Um, that's the best advice I can give you. And so I've always tried to to do that. I've always tried to surround myself with good people who are doing positive things. And, um, I, I do think that, uh, his words definitely still transcend with me big time. So.
0: Yeah, I'm writing that down because uh, I am learning that now, like very actively, right? That, you know, I've been doing this podcast since May of this year. And Mm -hmm. since then, you know, I've been kind of working with a lot of people that have done amazing things and kind of making relationships to help kind of push myself and the podcast forward. And it's crazy because as you start to surround yourself with people that are like-minded and just good people, like it's amazing what you can accomplish.
1: Well, I'll just I'll give you this because this has to be in the podcast because this is a major part of like what I've done in the last probably eight years I guess. But when I was working at Under Armour, I'll just I'm going to be honest about all this. I was miserable, right? Towards the end, I'm like I need to get out of here. This is a miserable job. Um, (laughs) And uh, one day it was like a lunch break. My workers had gone on their lunch break, and I just sat at my desk and I just said a prayer. I'm like I know I'm made for bigger things than this. Like just open the door, God. And I'm not kidding. Um, About a week later. I came across campaigns who was at the time was a under, you know, he's still a, a current under armor athlete. Um, and he started following me. I started following him and he, I used to, I was like known in my building for these orange under armor shoes I wore. And one day on his uh, Instagram, this is back when he had like 60,000 followers, nothing like what it is now. Um, he posted this picture and he had a pair of orange shoes. I was like, no way. Campaigns is wearing the same orange shoes as me. Well, make a long story short. I ended up getting this keep hammering hat that came into my house and I'm like, I'm going to go on a run with this hat. So I took a picture and it was the only picture I've ever taken of myself, like a selfie, right? At the time. And uh, he ended up posting on his social media and I didn't know he posted on his social media. So I'm on my lunch break. This is like literally a week later after I said that prayer. Um, all of a sudden my my Facebook is like maxing out. I'm like, what is happening here? Like all of a sudden I had like 5,000 followers. My Instagram was growing a little bit, but not as much as like the Facebook stuff. Um, so I was like, holy moly. Well, anyway, I get home like two nights later and I have this message from someone from Under Armour. I can't say his name. Um, and he says, uh, Hey, next time I'm in Southern California, let's get together. I want to talk Under Armour with you. So I was like, all right, sounds good. So I'll, immediately I'm like, you know, trying to find out who this guy is. So I get, I'm trying to find his Instagram and I find him and he's like a product developer for, for Under Armour. And he worked in Oregon. And I, at the time I was trying to get out of California too. I still am, but I'm still here. Um, that's another story. Um, so anyway, I end up getting recruited to the Under Armour product development team, which was literally dream job right they brought me in for an interview in Oregon I was like oh my gosh this is like literally my dream job so basically they would get like new shoes and I would take the athletes that I would train basically doing what I did like at CB3 right speed and agility stuff and I would get feedback from the, the players and write it up and then send the report to uh, to Maryland to the headquarters for Under Armour um I mean absolute dream job the guy that I was going to be working under he's the one that developed like the Nike Spark equipment which I use all that equipment for like my athletes and he was now at Under Armour he was going to be my boss and uh, make a long story short I got back from that trip and I guess I made the mistake of telling people at the current building I was working in that you know I was getting recruited for that job and um, it's just the nature of the beast right jealousy um, it seems the <laughs> it just seems to be the nature of the beast make a long story short there are certain people that you know um, I guess were jealous of it next thing I know they boxed at my area and I was like wow why are they boxing my area a month later, I get tapped on the shoulder, and they tell me that they're letting me go because I took a picture of a pair of shoes inside the warehouse. So, um, uh, yeah, they could have literally fired everybody in the building for that. And the, the pair of shoes I took a picture of, the guy that I that developed the shoes is still my really good friend. Um, and I took it, and I sent him the picture, and that's what they fired me for. So, it, I. Had, my dream job um but i was very grateful to cam hands because he opened the door he opened that door for me and i had told him i'm like you know you open this door for me so um you know if there's anything i can do to ever pay it forward i said if i end up getting this job i'm gonna um basically donate my first paycheck to whatever you know whatever charity you want so this is how i ended up meeting my best friend rick i mean it, the story's crazy you can't even make this stuff up so cam ended up messaging me and said no you don't need to do that you deserve everything that you have coming and uh he ended up posting, Cam posted a, a thing about Cam, uh, Rick like a couple days later and it was uh, Rick had cancer and if there's anything anybody could do and I'd, I didn't know what I could do, but I figured I could do something, right? So, um, and then I happened to get on my Facebook and this guy na- named Tyson, who I didn't know at the time was Rick's brother-in-law. I had no idea who Tyson was, but he had started following me when all these people started following me from Cam. He had posted the same thing about Rick. So I'm like, all right, this is a sign. God's trying to tell me to do something, right? And I'm very good at listening and following the nudges I get. Um, and so I just followed it. So anyway, um, I reached out to Tyson and I said, Hey, let me know if there's anything I can do for this guy, Rick. Um, I work at Under Armour. I'm not sure what I could do, but maybe we can set something up. So next thing you know, I'm organizing a, a celebrity softball game. Right. And I was going to do it in Pepperdine at, in Malibu and I had, had it all going, everything was going. And, uh, anyway, I, I followed, followed the nudge, uh, to make a long story short, but you know, Cam opened those doors for me and I was very grateful for him doing that and it ended up leading me. To Rick, and literally our first, my first phone call with Rick, I was like, okay, I swear, I I know you from another life or something. It was just bizarre. Like I don't know how to even, uh, really, say what the connection was. It was, it was definitely just uh, I don't know, otherworldly or something. Um, but I pretty much started throwing myself all in to help Rick um, to the point when I actually when they uh, when I left Under Armour. I for two years dedicated everything um just to helping him for the last you know a couple years of his life before he passed away but um turned on a job at Nike I mean there was pretty much nothing that was going to stop me from doing all I could to help Rick so um crazy story um just one more I guess uh example of following the nudges you get and don't always you know be led by the money and the enticement of certain things right when you kind of feel those nudges go with it because it usually leads the bigger things so
0: all because of a pair of purple syrup, uh all because of a pair of orange shoes
1: yeah <laughs> and i was a trail runner at the time i mean i used to run mountains and stuff and so did cam so it was kind of like i saw this guy, I was like wow he kind of looks like he's like a, a male version of me right Um, obviously he's way more of a beast than I am, but, um, yeah, I just kind of liked his example and, you know, obviously he pushes himself way out of his comfort zone and that's kind of what he thrives on. Um, my direction's kind of gone a little different. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I've mellowed out, but I, you know, I kind of feel like I have nothing really to prove to anybody at this point. I'm just kind of follow the nudges and go with that. And, um, you know, when I do follow the nudges, if it's something that, you know, can represent to a higher level, I obviously go all out. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. How do you? Because that's a fun story, and I and I keep thinking, like, man, like following a nudge like that seems. And it's funny that like literally a picture resulted in this, right? And it and it, and it just kind of like escalated out of yeah. control, you yeah. know. And following nudges to me sounds like like I am not one to follow nudges, right? Like I I am horrible at it because I have to sit down and like pros and cons list like yeah like i was telling you i'm a numbers guy before this right before we hit record how do you like kind of just say you know what screw this this feels right i'm gonna go for it
1: i think it's just it kind of goes back to my free spirit i mean i've always been very free spirited my whole life since i was a kid um i don't know i have kind of felt like there's never any limits right it doesn't matter what route you go you can always make the best of whatever route you're on so um i don't know i kind of live with like a no fear sense in me i guess sure. um which makes it, I guess, a little bit easier compared to someone who's a numbers guy and looks at everything and analyzes everything. I I don't do that. Like, I'm like, all right, well, I guess this is where I'm supposed to be. Literally, I got on, Rick ended up calling me and I ended up having like a two hour phone conversation. And by the time I got off the call, I'm like, all right, I pretty much know where my life's going right now. I'm going to be dedicating, you know, my life to him as long as he's alive. And he pretty much knew that. And that's pretty much what I did. I didn't let anything stop me. So, I mean, we organized like, um, major league baseball batting practices. I ended up organizing those for him. Um, so Rick's background was he played in the minor leagues was a, with the white Sox, and he played at Ole Miss in college. And, uh, like I said, he was a big outdoor guy. He was a videographer for like, uh, buck commanders and stuff. And, uh, Anyway, and I didn't, I knew nothing. I knew nothing of that about him before I met him. Literally, I didn't even know he played baseball. And I, you know, uh, as we've talked about, I love baseball. It's like a big thing. So there's a big connection there. Um, And he actually taught like hitting lessons at the same time I was doing speed and agility work with like, you know, baseball players. So this is kind of crazy, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, um like I said, just follow those nudges. There's nothing to be afraid of. Usually when you're getting those nudges, it means there's something on the other side of it. So, and not necessarily for you, but maybe to help somebody else out that leads to something else out, right? Mm -hmm. So like my current job with Mountain Ops, um, how I met the people at Mountain Ops is crazy too. I went to go run the campaigns Moose on the Loose Run in Las Vegas at the SHOT Show. This was uh, seven years ago. Um, And he was giving away shoes if you were like in the top 10. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm gonna go win some shoes today. I went there and I won some shoes and uh the mountain ops people had approached me before going there and they said hey if you're going to the moose on the loose run we want to meet you and I I wasn't in the outdoor industry I don't I'm not a hunter or anything like that but I obviously was supporting Rick and I was doing all these fundraising things for him that was you know involved a lot of the outdoor industry um so they had approached me and then they wanted me to kind of be like an ambassador for them and there was a little bit of a conflict of interest between mountain ops and this other company called wilderness athlete that's who rick was with right that was a sponsor of rick because rick was on a show called sheep shape and that was one of his sponsors and so i was like i can't cross lines here right like I, i just kind of always stayed impartial and i always appreciated the mountain ops people and i became friends with the ceo of mountain ops his name is trevor um he's actually gone on some hunts with us in alaska and stuff and uh Anyway, uh, they had um, brought me in for a previous job, which I didn't get. That was three years ago, and then uh, this job came up. Uh, I got hired March of this year, um, and it's a perfect fit. I couldn't ask for a better fitting job. And uh, talk about stranding yourself with good people. I work around some phenomenal souls at Mountain Ops. They're just really good-hearted, salted-earth people. So I'm grateful for that. And yeah. I work in my- not in the office, so um, I don't get the day-to-day stuff. But yeah. Uh, we do like monday meetings and we have like a book club sort of thing where we go over like a book and the chapters in it and you can kind of get to know people and I've gone in there a few times into the actual office and it's all you know very supportive hardworking people so
0: that's crazy so I'm here in 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 your life story doing <laughs> some good networking following your nudges mm-hmm. and uh running a freaking lot
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay well I feel like i'm I feel like I'm well, fresh out of. Qu- go yeah,
1: ahead. All skill sets, right? It's just a matter of finding what your skill set is and then surrounding yourself with good people. And then typically, if you're surrounding yourself with the right people who are kind of in the same arena as you, your skill sets only can grow from there, right? So yep. I kind of, that's kind of what happened with me. So I was always very shy. Before Rick, I was very oh man, I was I was like really shy, especially as a kid. Rick kind of got me out of my shell. And I kind of, I think because his situation was so dire, like he would ask me to do things and like he threw me into the mix, right? He's like, hey, I need you to reach out to Realtree and we need some hats for this event. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, all right. I mean, I wasn't going to say no to him. I couldn't say no. So he kind of got me out of my comfort zone and uh, I, you know, I, I probably would still be in my little sheltered box, probably if it wasn't for him. I mean, he pretty much left me no choice. I mean, he was in a situation where he had stage four cancer, right? So it was, I'm not going to say no to someone in that situation. And um, yeah, he kind of, I don't know, he gave me, he definitely gave me a lot of confidence and uh, he helped build my skill sets big time. So
0: yeah, yeah. So are you still actively doing stuff for Project Purple?
1: Um, I haven't run just because of the pandemic and stuff, like all the marathons got canceled. And actually this past weekend was the first marathon since then. So they just did a uh, Chicago marathon was this weekend and they had 70 runners for project purple. And that was actually my last marathon I ran for them. I did that one two years ago in Chicago. And I actually, Rick was from Illinois. So I actually ran that marathon with his high school and baseball coach, um, which was the same guy's name is Don Sutherland. Um, when he found out I was doing it, he decided he was going to do it. and He was going to raise money for Project Purple too. So I got to run the Chicago Marathon with Rick's coach, which was pretty awesome. And we ended up being in a different um, a different heat, right? So he ended up leaving before me, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to catch you. Well, you know, there's like thirty thousand people running this thing. I'm like, hopefully, I'll be able to find them, right? And so I had a I had a, I was on a mission. Like, but as soon as the gun went off for my heat, I'm like, hey, I got to catch Coach Don. And I was blazing. I was pretty much setting all records for myself, um, coming to about the half marathon mark at mile 13. I caught coach Don and uh, coach Don ended up pulling his hamstring about a mile later. So uh, make a long story short. I ended up basically almost walking uh, the last half of that. And he, he kept telling me cause he knew how hard I trained. I literally trained. That's the hardest I've ever trained for anything in my life. I trained harder for that marathon than I ever trained at all for the national team. I mean, talk about dedicated. I was, I was on a mission for that one. Um, cause I wanted to get a Boston qualifying time. Um, that was my own personal goal. I never put it out there, but that was my own personal goal. And I knew what time I needed to get. And I was pretty much on track to, to make that time easily. And, uh, so then I was in a dilemma of, okay, do I walk with him or do I go and try to get this goal of my own? Right. And it was pretty much a no brainer. I'm like, okay, I'm walking with you. And he kept saying, you've worked too hard to like walk with me, just go, just run. Make your time. I'm like, nope, Rick wouldn't want me to cross that finish line without you. So um I pretty much had to shut my own dream down there. And <laughs> I got to the finish line with, with Coach Don and it ended up being um it's always like an anti climatic feeling when you finish a marathon, at least for me, because I've always done them for Rick. I've never done a marathon for my own. It's always been on Rick's behalf. And it's just a really anticlimactic um type of thing at the end. But finishing with Coach Don, it was like uh, it was a hundred times better. So um it made it all worth it. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. So, if people want to uh, maybe donate or start getting involved with you or, or Don running again, um, how can they find, you know, ways to get get involved and donate and help for Project Purple? Yes, ma'am.
1: Yeah, they can reach right out to Project Purple. Um, I could. I, they can reach out to me. I can put him in contact with. His name is Dino. Um, he's the founder of Project Purple, and his he's his own personal story is his dad died of pancreatic cancer, which led him to starting Project Purple. And talk about taking a leap of faith. I mean, he had a really good job, and he left all that to start the nonprofit Project Purple, um, and that became like a life passion of his. And uh, yeah, he's very his enthusiasm for what he does. And, um, he's done a lot of great things. They do, they help fund like a lot of research. So because I was a top fundraiser for Project purple, when I ran the New York city marathon, they actually brought me into the special luncheon with one of the doctors who's one of like the leading doctors in the world for pancreatic cancer. And I had this doctor who's like a leading doctor, like in the world early. And she's thanking me for like what I do. And I'm sitting there going, how did I end up here? Like, this is like crazy, right? Like I'm thanking her, like she's doing the work. Right. And, and she's telling me I'm doing the work cause I'm running, but I mean, uh, obviously you know, doctors like that are making a big difference and being able to help knowing that you're, you know, you're raising money for funding like that. And they also donate, like they help families in need, um, who have like a loved one, um, that has pancreatic cancer. So, um, and because I have my own personal story with Rick, obviously it's, you know, it hits me a little different. I'm really passionate about it as well. Um, I haven't committed to any marathons coming up, but, um, I don't know. I'm kind of playing with the idea on the back of my head, I guess, again, after I did Chicago, like, all right, I think I'm good. I've done all the major marathons on Rick's behalf and I got to finish in Chicago, which is where he was from and got to run with his coach. But I do know I, I raise a lot of money when I do it. and I don't know why necessarily I raise so much money. I, I like to say it's because of Rick. Um, and I, I guess people sense my passion for what I'm doing and they know it's genuine. Um, I think that's why I've had success with raising money, but um yeah, I think for the fundraising fact of it, I'll probably end up, you know, obviously doing some more runs. I've also done stuff like I hiked um, the Grand Canyon up and down. I did this whole thing for that was for Project Purple as well, okay. which I like that That was a little bit different than just going out and running 26 miles. So sure. there are some now for Project Purple, they're getting involved with like CrossFit stuff too. Um, I think they have like a golf outing that's coming up. So they're, you know, they're kind of going into other things other than this, the marathon running, because I think because of what happened with the pandemic, you know, it's kind of like, you have to figure out um, other ways of making this work, right. If we can't go run major marathons, if something like this were to happen again. So there is other that don't necessarily like to run too. So,
0: okay. How do, how do the donations work? I mean, is it based off of like a a runner per mile or per minute?
1: No, I had a crowd rise. Um, At the time I had a crowd rise, little, um, what do you call it? Fundraising page. Okay, I think they now, but back when I first did like my first three marathons, everything was through CrowdRise. So basically you set up an account, all the funding goes directly. Once you set up the account, all the funding goes directly into uh, Project Purple. So I don't ever touch any of the money. It goes directly to them. Um, but then I can see, I like, I could get on CrowdRise and I could see like who donated. I'd always get like an email saying so-and-so just donated $500. Right. Um, and then I, I'd always screenshot that and post that on my social media and say, you know, so-and-so just donated and like, this is so awesome. I can't believe it. I mean, I had people who I didn't didn't. even know like literally donating like thousands of dollars I'm like this is the craziest thing ever it was so eye-opening for me and this like uh talk about giving me a different perspective on things I'm like would I do that if I was in that case like would I donate to a stranger I'm like I'm not sure I would donate to a stranger but people were donating to me so it kind of just opened my eyes of that like I guess being more open to what what passions people are putting out there and I think when it's genuine people genuinely want to help right so Um, but yeah, never in a million years that I think I would have um, the outpouring of support that I've had doing these marathons. It's crazy. So that's cool.
0: That's cool. Yeah. I've, I've tried one fundraiser, not, not for running or hiking or whatever the case may be, but I did try one fundraiser earlier this year. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you're trying to do something altruistically and you have to kind of show the passion and show the transparency and kind of build the trust that's the word i was thinking of the trust with people to say hey this is actually what i'm trying to go do
1: yeah yeah i definitely think trust is like a, a big one right if people know why you're doing it and i i do think i think this is another just lesson in life when you do things genuinely people know it people know when you're being genuine right um so and that typically usually leads to either a lot of success or a lot of jealousy and it could be a mix of both (laughs) (laughs) based on my own experience i mean believe it or not all the stuff i've done on rick's behalf i actually got haters i'm like wow this is incredible um it just makes you scratch your head but you know it's just you know life will try to derail you especially when you're doing good things um you see it every day with people that are doing good things and you see the hate they get i'm like it's like it makes no sense but um people like myself and people who, you know, uh, are the ones out there doing that kind of work typically take that hate and just use it as fuel. Right. So, which is what I did.
0: That's fair. That's fair.
1: That you can actually question me about and you know, it, which would give you hate then I'll, I'll be open ears all day, but for them, you know, I've never had anybody have a reason to hate me for the stuff that I've done. So other than they're just jealous. So, I mean, that basically goes back on them, not me. So <laughs> Hmm.
0: that's fair. Okay. Well, I feel like I'm fresh out of questions. Is there anything that you felt like we might've skimmed over or that you, uh, that might've popped up that you want to share?
1: Um, I mean, if you're looking for a fitness and nutrition consult, you can reach, reach me as well. Um, there's a group of like three of us that do what I do at mountain ops. Um, and either any of the three of us would be happy to help people out. As far as that goes, people that are just trying to get past that little plateau they might be in. Um, yeah. Um. That's about it.
0: Okay. <laughs> do you have an email, or do you want just a Instagram? What's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Um, email is Christy at mountainops.com.
0: Christy, once again, thank you for taking the time and sharing your experiences, lessons learned, Project Purple, and uh, hopefully giving, um, some inspiring athletes and, uh, and other individuals, some good insight on how to take charge, becoming more competitive and, uh, taking, taking life by the horns and, uh, really owning what it is that you're trying to do and getting to where you want to be. So I hope everybody, I hope you feel like you took some good information away. Christy, once again, thank you. And, uh, I hope you all have a great week.